Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Anyone excited for church? Come on! For those of you that are new, my name is Ali and my... Like my wife said earlier, we, we started this church three years ago with a simple dream. We had this, we call it our God dream. God wanted us to create a place where not only Christians could grow passionately in their faith. Come on, and next week is Labor Day weekend. And that's when we begin in this church vision season. So we're, we're handing out prayer journals. We have 50. So the first, it's first come, first serve. And if you don't come, you get a digital copy. You're, you're still loved by God, but you gotta, you got to do it digitally with Jesus. <laughs> but we do this because in September, we call it our vision season, where every year God gives us fresh vision for the new year. If you see this banner behind me, it says the promise. It still stands. It was a prophetic word that God gave our church in the middle of a pandemic. And it wasn't just a corporate word. It was an individual one as well, one for your marriage, one for your parenting, one for your finances, and one for your walk with God, that the promise over your life, it still stands. And God's got fresh vision this year. He wants to give you a fresh word because uh, I don't want to live on yesterday's manna. I want to live on fresh word from God. And, and how do we prepare our hearts for fresh vision? 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I've been hearing through the grapevine, Pastor Ali, Pastor Ali, every year at the end of September, we do this thing called Vision Builders Gala. Anyone ever go to a Vision Builders Gala? And the question is, are we having one this year? Heck, yes, we're having one this year. Seventh floor, Cielo. Again, we only got 50 tickets, and we're starting selling them today. $50 a person, couples of 100 bucks. The first 10 that buy tickets get free bold T-shirts. Come on. And, and what we do as a church is we rally around. We celebrate the fresh vision that God has for us with a party, black tie event. You can dress up. Ladies, it is like your version of the Oscars, just the spiritual version of it. Guys can wear their suit. And it's a fun night to, to celebrate not only what God's doing in our church, but what he's going to do in your family as well. You don't want to miss out on this. And uh, we are in a collection of talks called The Bible is My. The Bible is mine. Every week it's a different thing. And last week we talked about how the Bible is my foundation and that, that, that you can't just be around the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? You can't just like go to the gym and hang out by a treadmill and go, oh, one calorie, two calories. No, no, no. You got to engage with the Bible. And there are three ways that you engage. Number one, you got you to trust it. You got to put your weight on it. And, and we talked about how uh, your, your, your need for evidence is replaced by your evidence of experience. And I don't need evidence. I got a testimony. The Bible works. And, and then not only that, you can build your, your life on it. You can build your marriage. You build your finances. Build your parenting on it. But what do you do when the storms of life come? What do you do when, when life doesn't go the way you want and you can, you can hide in it? And today, I just got to tell you, last week, people were like, oh, my gosh, good sermon, Pastor. You were preaching me down. And today's not one of those sermons. I just got to warn you, I'm coming after you in a good way. There are some sermons, let me tell you, they are encouraging. There are some sermons that need to be challenging. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And starting at verse 1, for the word of God is alive and active. Somebody shout alive and active. We are a loud church. If you hear something good, help me preach this. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Woo! I didn't know I came for that today. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Some of you, you're like, what? And last week, the premise was if the Bible is true, it changes everything. And today, the premise is if the Bible is true, it will cut you. <laughs> I remember texting my wife, I'm like, babe, 
can I say this? Can I say the Bible will cut you? And she's like, that's a little aggressive. I'm like, perfect. I want to be aggressive today. And some of you, you're here because a friend invited you. Maybe your mom invited you. And you're like, what? You invited me to be cut today? And you're offended. And I get that. I understand where you're coming from. But maybe it's not offensive because whether or not it's right or wrong, maybe it's offensive because you don't know the context. How many know context changes everything? What, what, could, what could be discouraging could actually be encouraging. What, what can instill fear can actually instill hope. Uh, let me give you a perfect example of what, how context changes everything. When I was a, uh, before I was married, I lived in a bachelor pad with seven, four other guys. And uh, yes, we were spirit-filled, so we'd get a PlayStation 4. And uh, one of my roommates, he probably had a minor in video games. And uh, I was in my room studying. I was in seminary. I, I don't remember if it was like a, a midweek or a weekend. But I remember being in my room studying, and I could hear in the other room my roommates yelling at each other. I'm like, what are they yelling about now? It was a constant fighting, like cat and dog. He's like, kill me. Kill me. And I was like, whoa. I kind of want him to blow so I can, like, see the blood. I'm, I'm, I'm going to see it happen. You know, I'm, I'm ratchet, not just righteous. And I'm, I'm sitting there, like, with my ear leaning in. And I hear my other roommate kind of laugh. <laughs> okay. And I run out the room, and these two idiots have headphones on, and they're playing video games. And one of the guys was stuck in a pit, and he wanted to be killed so he respawn. I'm like, context, it changes everything. Some of you are afraid of the Bible because you think it's misogynistic. Well, Abraham had a bunch of wives, and Isaac had a bunch of wives, and Jacob had a bunch of wives. And the point of the scriptures is not to have a bunch of wives. Every man in this room who has one will tell you one is more than enough. And all the men said, amen. <laughs> You're tricking me, pastor. That, that's not what it's saying. Once you understand the context, it makes sense. And, and what I'm trying to tell you is even though the Bible is true, it will cut you. But maybe it's not offensive. Maybe, maybe there's something we don't understand. Let me, let me read you the verse again. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That word sword is the Greek word mashida. Somebody say mashida. It's a weird word, and actually, this is one of those words where there's multiple definitions, and just like the English language, you don't know what that word means until you read the sentence in full. And so the way, that the, like, for example, there's this thing called linguistic context, and if I say a word in English, it has, it has one word but multiple meanings. For example, I can go run a marathon, I can go run for president, or I can leave the water running. You won't know what I'm saying until you see the context at which it's in. Mashida is the same way. The, the, this word is the root word for machete, which is scarier because God, is, is he coming with me for a machete? No, no, no. When you understand the context, the meaning of the word makes more sense when you see around the words. The first meaning of the word mashida it, 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 it is a sword meant for fighting or defending. The second possible definition is a knife meant for cutting wood or cutting leather. The third definition of Mashida is scalpel. Scalpel. Let me read you the verse one more time, and you tell me which one it means. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged makaida. It penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let me, on the count of three, is it a sword, knife, or scalpel? One, two, three. Scalpel. If you said knife, please leave right now. It's It's scalpel. But that doesn't explain everything, because how can a scalpel be alive and active? That's an inanimate object, but what if it's not a what that's alive and active? What, who is alive and active and has a scalpel? That's the title of my sermon today, that the Bible is my surgeon. That the Bible is my surgeon. And, 
And yes, sometimes he's going to cut you. Because even if he causes a little bit of pain, he's trying to help you. I've never seen a cancer patient be like, don't cut the cancer out. Ow! Right? What we got to realize is sometimes it will hurt you. Sometimes it will cut you. Write this out. The Bible is not a psycho with a knife trying to kill you. It's not that. It's a surgeon with the scalpel that's trying to save you. And sometimes to help you, he's got to hurt you. Sometimes he's got to, to, to make your life better, he's got to hurt you in the temporary to make sure you can live a long life in, in, forever. But is, how is it alive and active? Does it like walk across the table and go, Pastor Alley, do you have grape upon? No, 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 he doesn't talk to me. It's not alive and active that way. It's alive and active that it knows and judges the motives of my heart. For example, if, I, if I'm sick with a cold and i got a runny nose, I would go to the doctor and he would need to diagnose me. He would try to determine, is it just a common cold or is it the flu? Is it the common cold, the flu, or maybe you got pneumonia? And depending on the diagnosis, he's going to give me different medicine. The Bible is the same way. It will diagnose your heart because it's alive and active. And it will, not only when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. The Bible, it will read you. This is why when you sometimes read the Bible, it feels like it's coming after you. He goes, I got to talk to you about your relationship with your dad because you got unforgiveness. Every time you're on Instagram, you see that one girl, oh my goodness, you got jealousy. Every, every time you, you, you talk about money, let me talk about you, you love God, you love money more than me. This is why when, when you're reading the Bible, it feels like it's coming at you because it, it is sometimes. And not in the context that it's trying to hurt you. It's trying to help you. And I remember in every season of my life, that I can imagine, the Bible has ministered to me in different ways. And uh, let me read you one of my life verses. It's Joshua chapter 1. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I remember when I was uh, 12 years ago, I went on my first missions trip. Went to Mexicali. I don't know where Mexicali is. Small city in Mexico. I remember we would go street to street. We would knock on doors. We would walk to the parks. We'd go to gas stations and schools, trying to rally all the kids in this city, in this one neighborhood, and bring them to church and lead them to Christ. And remember, for the first two days, we couldn't lead anyone to faith. And remember, after, at the end of this, like the, uh, the, the Bible study thing that we would do, we would drive some of these kids home because they didn't have parents that, that were at home. Their parents were working all day. I remember this one kid, this 18-year-old kid, we drove him to his home, and he literally had a four-wall house with no door, and the dirt on the outside of the house was the same dirt on the inside of the house. He didn't have a carpet. He didn't have a floor. And you could see the couch and a bed in the room, and that was it. And I'm like, God, I, I'm a techie from Silicon Valley. I, I door dash food to my house when I get lazy. I, I burn water. That's, I don't even know how to cook. I just door dash it to myself. How am I going to reach this guy? And God would say, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. The next day that dude accepted Christ. And I remember when at the very first time I was supposed to preach. This is like 12 years ago. I would never preached before. I, I was a youth pastor. But God called me into the pulpit. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do a very good job. I was afraid because I knew if I messed up, I would never be invited again. I actually didn't sleep that night. So I walk up, you know, like caffeine, full of Holy Spirit maybe, more caffeine. And the pastor sees me. Like half walking in with my eyes like half open. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I couldn't sleep last night. And as we're praying, he prays that verse over me. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. In every season of my life when I'm afraid, the Bible, even though it's a different situation, he gives me a different diagnosis. I remember when we started this church three years ago, I doubt 
the size of a mountain, but faith the size of a mustard seed. And my God, you got the wrong dude. Please get someone else. And God spoke to me so clearly. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. When I got married and didn't think I can take care of my wife, God spoke to me. When I, when I, when I went from being married to being a dad, I, I don't know how to be a dad. He, he was there. And every season of my life, how do I be a pastor in a pandemic? Every time I've been afraid, discouraged, I'm doubt, God speaks the same word. It's a different word. Why? Because it's alive and active. And there are times, I'm telling you, I'm in the hallway and people come to me like, Pastor Hallie, when you said that, it so spoke to me. I'm like, keep my mouth shut. I didn't say that. <laughs> Because the word is alive and it's active and it will speak to you. And when you need hope, it will be your hope. When you need encouragement, it will be your encouragement. And listen, when you need correction, it will cut you. It will cut you. Read what it says to me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture, someone say all scripture, is inspired by God. Not just the parts that you like. Not just the parts that you agree with. Not just the parts that your professors say is true. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, the problem is that you and I don't like being told we're wrong. Amen? Some of you are afraid, like, is that your question? I don't know if I should say amen. Because there was a season in your life where someone did correct you, but they wounded you. Why would you do that? You're stupid. You can't do that. Well, don't ever try that again. Don't eat that. You'll get fat. And every time they corrected, every time they tried to speak to our life, they wound us. And now we've grown up, whether it was our parents, whether it was a teacher or an employer, every time someone wants to correct us now, we're afraid the walls go up because we think that person's trying to hurt us. But the Bible says in Proverbs that the wound of a friend is better than the kiss of an enemy. So you can come out all ratchety hair, all looking all nasty, and an enemy will be like, you look great. And a friend will be like, dude, go home, shave your legs. Shave your mustache, take a shower, and then come back in Jesus' name. Because they'll tell you not what you want, but what you need. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, it was the season I was most active in my life. I played volleyball in the fall, basketball in the winter, and track in the spring. And I remember at the beginning of every year, you have to get a physical. And all the men in the room remember you had like, a cough, and it was like so uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, I'm going there as a pastor. So imagine I'm 12 years old, and the doctor's doing this physical, and he comes to my mom and says, your son has an irregular heartbeat. He shouldn't be doing exercise. I'm like, this is impossible. I, I'm like, I run from my dad all the time, you know? <laughs> I'm afraid, but I, and everything feels good. And he's like, maybe there's a hole in your son's heart. Maybe there's an atrial fibrillation. The only, we, we, you, your son should not do anything. Maybe the only way to fix it is surgery. And remember, we, my mom was weirded out, so we went to get a, another doctor's opinion, second opinion. Thank God. Thank God that the first doctor was totally wrong. But imagine my dad coming to the hospital, not knowing the context. And he sees my chest open with a doctor with a knife over me, thinking, who is trying to kill my son? But if I actually did have a hole, that doctor's trying to save his son. That's what the Bible's trying to do. The Bible's not a psycho trying to hurt you. He's a surgeon with a scalpel. And sometimes he's got to cut things out of your life that hurt you. Sometimes he's got to cut relationships out. Sometimes he's got to cut mindsets out. Sometimes he's got to cut actions out. Not because he wants to hurt you. I say it like this. It's not meant to hurt us. It's meant to help us. But to help you, sometimes the Bible's got to hurt you. Let me say that again. To help you, sometimes the Bible has to hurt you. But God loves you. Loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you. So you know he loves you. 
But there are three ways, and three ways the Bible wants to cut you, and you need to write these down. Because we say this all the time in sentence. If you want to go to heaven, you're more likely to go. If you take notes in church, be like, first time, oh, my gosh, what are you talking about? What are those percentages? It's like 95%. Those, those are good odds. You want to write this down. If the Bible is true, it shapes your beliefs. It shapes your beliefs. Because in, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that it cuts the soul and spirit, bone and marrow, heart. We know what the heart is. Uh, we know what the, the, the bone and marrow, those are the, the joints. That's where you move. Those are, it's going to cut your actions. But what's soul and spirit? Those are your beliefs. See, if the Bible is true, it wants to shape and form your worldview. It wants to teach you what to think, even if it goes against what your parents taught you. Even if it goes against what your friends on Instagram and all the kids on TikTok say and what your professors say. And listen, even what the culture is saying, the Bible wants to shape your theology and what is truth. And that's a great question. What is truth? There was this one time in John chapter 18 where uh, the, the ruler of, Jerus of, of Jerusalem, this Roman emperor named Pontius Pilate, and he's the ruler over the, because the Jerusalem is overrun by the Roman Empire, so the, the, the Jewish people are not in control. Pilate is, but he's not Caesar. He's just the governing body, and they bring Jesus because they want to crucify him. And Pontius Pilate is interacting with Jesus. He's like, this dude's done nothing wrong. And they go back in this exchange, and he asks this question that has been asked since the age of dawn. What is truth? How good is that question in a day of false information and fake news, and you don't know who's telling you what? Like, just give me the truth, not your opinion. That's not even the best part of this, this verse. This is, what is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis or charge against him. I find it hilarious that Pontius Pilate didn't even wait for Jesus to answer. He left before, and many theologians believe Pontius Pilate left on purpose because he's like me and you. We're afraid of the truth. We like the idea of truth, but we don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm going to use myself as a personal example. I'm going to be very intimate and transparent with you this morning, and please don't laugh. I'm turned 40 in quarantine, and I don't know. And I don't want to know what I'm about to say. If you tell me what I'm about to tell you guys, if I share with you and you tell me the origin of this thing, I'm going to throw you out of this church, okay? I don't know after 40 years what's in a Costco hot dog. And I don't want to know. So if you want to come up to me, I'm going to la, 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 la. I don't want to know. Because I remember being in college and they told me what's in Jello horse hooves. I was like, ooh, hell no. I remember watching a Netflix documentary, how they made KFC. KFC used to be my favorite chicken. And then I realized they manufacture these chicken in a lab. These chickens don't have feathers. They don't have eyeballs. They're so fat, full of steroids. They take two steps and fall down. I'm like, I'm never eating KFC again. I don't want to know what's in a Costco hot dog. I love them too much. <laughs> and that's the idea of truth. You and I love the idea of truth, but we don't want the truth. We don't want it. That's why Pilate, he left. He's like, I don't even want to know what Jesus is going to say. Because when you get truth, you don't get truth. You get direction. You get, it changes the course of your life. My wife is on this, this phrase. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're counting your macros. Anybody count their macros? Some of you should in Jesus' name. So at the end of the day, she's like, I got 300 calories. What can I eat, Allie? Can I eat this? And she has me look it up. I'm like, yeah, it's maybe on the border. So that one time we were in uh, in and out She's like, I got 500 calories, Allie. Can I eat a hamburger? And I'm just messing with her. I'm like, you can have lettuce, maybe a tomato, three pickles. Four is too many. <laughs> Isn't it funny that we'll laugh about truth regarding food? Will you laugh when the truth comes for your politics? Will you laugh when the truth comes for your sexuality? 
Will you laugh when the truth comes for your wallet? Come on. Will you laugh when the truth comes for your race? And that's what I want to talk about. That often we, we, we avoid the truth because it makes us uncomfortable. Truth is, does not care about your comfort. Truth wants to help you. And sometimes it will cut you to help you. See, when we are born, we are born as a blank slate. No one is born a Lakers fan. They have to be indoctrinated into that demonic religion. <laughs> You're clean slate. But after living a season of life, what ends up happening is we get wounds. The journey of life, it's not just nurture, it's nature. It's not just our parents, it's the environment. It's our parents. They tell it. Our worldview from 0 to 12 comes from them. And it's culture. What, what's the biggest social media? Some of you are older. You're like, it's Facebook. You're revealing your age. If you're a millennial, it's probably Instagram. If you're still living with your parents and they're folding your clothes, it's TikTok in Jesus' name. <laughs> and it's forming your idea because it comes from culture. Some of you, it's, it's trauma. You were betrayed by someone, and that's shaped your views. And some of you, it's your friends. Show me your five friends, I'll show you your future. Some of you, it's your feelings. Feelings are a good thing, not a bad thing. They, they're indicators, not, not a GPS system. And some of it's failures, and some of it's racism. Let me take racism as an example. We abolish slavery in this country, yet racism not systemically exists, but individually still exists. You can't blame the Where's God? I blame parents for teaching that ideology to their kids, from one parent to the next. And sometimes we don't realize that where the source of it is. Our beliefs don't just randomly form. They're passed on. It's the environment we grew up in. And I love America. Come on. Anybody love America? You go to any country that does not like us, at least through the media, you talk to 99.99% of those people, they would love to be here. This is the greatest country in the world. But there are some things about this country that are not cool. It's the workaholism that will sacrifice our family, our kids, our, our friends, our, our livelihood for the dollar, right? We'll do everything. We'll kill ourselves. And most people don't realize it until they get the end of their life. They, go, they don't say, bring me my cars and trophies. They go, bring my friends and family. And they don't realize their mistake until the end of their life. There are some things that are great about this country, but the workaholism is crazy. You know, in Europe, they have this thing called siesta, where in the middle of the day, they take two hours. You know what Americans call that? Unemployed. <laughs> and what God wants to do is he, he wants to come along, and he, he wants to take your beliefs that came from these different places, and he, and he wants to come and he wants you to line up your beliefs against what the Bible says. What, what you think, what all your friends say about sex, God wants to come along and he wants to cut it. The way that you, you, you view revenge and the way you view your friends and the way you do money, God wants to come along and he wants to, and he wants to cut it. And so often what we don't realize is these, these things in our life that, that, that shape us. Trauma. Some of you, you were betrayed by a friend. You are divorced and now you think you're broken. Now you think no one wants you. And, and that belief has been shaped by the very trauma that you experienced. Some of you don't realize this, that your feelings are not God. Your feelings are not true. They are a good thing, but they're not a God thing. Listen, if I lived by my feelings... They would be, I would be in jail. And our kids' ministry would have 100 kids in it. I'm just being honest. You can't live your life by your feelings. And God's word wants to come along and he wants to shape you. He wants to cut you. And sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes you got to cut people out of your life. The things that you don't want to lose. That friend that you've been going out with high school since. God, come on. And God wants to cut it. Not because he doesn't love you. But because he does. Take racism, for example. It says in Galatians 
Chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Because in that culture, the Jewish people looked down on the Gentiles. That's why in the Bible, the, the, the Samaritans, they were half Jewish. And they weren't even treated like, they were treated like second-class citizens. And Paul wrote this word saying, I don't care what your parents taught you. I don't care what the culture says. I want you to change your ideology. I want to change your beliefs. And the Bible sometimes will cut the very thing that you find valuable. And then what about if you go to Instagram? Go on the popular page. Watch out for the Instagram models. If you go to the popular page, everyone wants to be a life coach. Everyone wants to tell you how to make money. You need to go to Bitcoin. No, 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 no. You got you to buy a second house and rent out an Airbnb and make a ton of money. No, no, no. You need, you need to sell a course, a master class. And if enough people buy it, then you're, everyone's trying to tell you how to be a millionaire. Even the hip-hop evangelist is all about the Benjamin, baby. Come on. They're all trying to tell you how to be rich. And everyone in this culture, we are obsessed with money. And the word of God comes along in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4. Do not weary yourself out to get rich. But do not trust your own cleverness. But cast a glance at riches, for they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to, to the sky like an eagle. And what God is doing, he's saying, I don't care what everyone on Instagram says. I don't care what your parents say. I don't care what the professors say. I want to form your beliefs. I want to shape your theology. And sometimes he's got to cut out habits. Sometimes he's got to cut out belief systems. Sometimes he's got to cut out people. But he will cut you because the Bible is true. And the goal is to make your heart look like his. That you will look and be in the image of God. That you'll love like Jesus, talk like Jesus. You will love the things that he loves and you'll hate the things that he hates. But we don't do this. Because we love the idea of truth, but we don't love, come on, we don't love truth. Don't tell me what's in a Costco hot dog. I don't want to know. And what we do instead is we take the parts of the Bible that we love and we make it in the image of us. I agree with that. I don't agree with that. And we cut the Bible. You're not not the first person to do that. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, he went with a knife to his Bible and cut out all the portions where there was a miracle. Because he said the the modern man cannot possibly believe in the supernatural. And he cut out the parts that he didn't agree with. And some of you don't realize it. You're doing the exact same thing. God can't possibly expect me not to have sex before marriage. That's so archaic. Snip, snip. You want me to not get revenge? Everybody's got to clap back. I wish you would. I wish you would. And you want to be hood like everybody else. And what you're doing is you're cutting the Bible into your image. Because that's what everyone taught you to do. And God wants to cut you so that you look like your son. How do you know you got this and not this? Let me tell you one tall tale sign. Do you disagree with the Bible? Does it still upset you? Let me tell you one of the verses. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to say this. Let me tell you the verses that I hate. I'm not supposed to use that word. My wife tells me never use it. I hate this verse. He committed no sin. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reveled, he did not revel in return when he suffered. That means when Jesus was getting beat, mocked, and taken advantage of, even though he probably wanted to throw a punch, he didn't. That's hard for me. Because I was taught someone pushes you, you push back. Someone takes advantage of you, hey! And every part of me, even though I'm 40, I want to do those things. And there are still parts of the Bible, I'm being honest, that upset me. There are still parts of the Bible I disagree. That's how you know you have this. That every time you read the Bible, not just, the Bible doesn't cut you once a year. Every time I read it, it cuts me. 
Every time I read it, it shapes my views. Every time it reminds me, you have bitterness, forgive. You need to love unconditionally. You need, to, you need to show grace. You need to keep your mouth shut. Let God defend you. And every time I find myself agreeing with all of the Bible, what I've done is I've made the Bible in the image of me. That's how you know. If you're like, oh my God, I love the Bible. I love every part of it. It's all amazing. You've cut the Bible into your image. Because it should challenge you. Because if it's true, come on. Like Shanene, it will cut you. It will cut you. Second thing it does, if you're taking notes, the Bible is true. It will, it, if it's true, it will shape your actions. Your actions. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says soul and spirit and then bone and marrow. What's bone and marrow? The, your joints. It wants to shape your actions. Not just the way you think, but the way that you behave. And some of you think like, oh my gosh, does God want to get me out of jail? No, 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 no. It's not jail that he's concerned about. The cops will put you in jail. It's another J word. It's, it's when you justify your actions. It's the little things that you do that no one sees, but you justify it. And Jesus speaks to that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says this. And if your right hand, which was the dominant hand in that culture, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that in those things that you do that you're good at, you can get away with, and you justify, don't do those things. And it might look like Jesus is trying to address behavior modification. He's after your heart. And when he gets to your heart, he changes your behavior. But there are little things that you and I do all the time. And what would we do? We justify it. Let me give you some perfect examples. In our culture, we lie, but we don't call it a lie. We just add a word in front of the word lie, and it, we think it changes. It's a white lie, Pastor Ali. It's a little lie. And we think by adding a word, it's not lying anymore. No, 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 bro. All you've done is justify it. Well, what about venting? The Bible calls it complaining. We, we, we change the word. I need a vent session. I need a, No one wants your ventilation, please. It, it's, it's, it's healthy to emotionally process with someone, but when you're emotionally venting with eight people, that's called vomiting, bro. That's not called venting. I need to let it out. If I don't, I'm going to explode. Are you a, a car? What do you mean you're going to explode? You don't need to. We, we justify our behavior. But what we're really doing is we're complaining. This is my favorite, gossip. It's not gossip. I'm telling the truth. They need to hear it. She's hood. Hey, I, I'm, just, I, we just, I'm just telling the truth. No one else will say it. God does, that's not helping. Helping is helping. Gossiping doesn't help. And let me come after some of you. This is, this is going to make your butt cheeks clench. When your new employer asks what you make, you pad your salary. Because you know when you switch jobs, they'll, they'll add 10% sometimes, sometimes 20. And what you do is, well, everyone lies. And if I don't, I won't get ahead. And so what you're doing is you're justifying lying so that God will reward you. You're lying so that you'll get ahead. This is what we do on our tax return. Notice I told you no one's saying amen right now. And we'll justify. Well, if I just, that was a business expense. Those, those Nike shoes, that was a business expense. That sushi meal, that was, a, that was a, I had to have that business conversation. And we, we lie. We justify it because we're like, oh, I have more money for my kids. Oh, oh, it's because I can give more money to the church. God doesn't need you to lie. This is what it says in, in, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 6. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. God wants to cut that behavior out of you. Look what it says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of the, your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others. That means you don't need to ever justify gossip. If it doesn't build up, shut up. That's what the Bible's saying. 
according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Gossip doesn't benefit anyone. What you're doing is you're slandering the, the, the character of another person. What about complaining? What does God say in, in the next verse? Philippians 2, chapter 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. But it gets even better than that. Anybody know what bypass surgery is? Don't go to the next verse. Go back. Anybody know what bypass surgery is? One person. Some of you, the way you eat, you're going to get it one day. I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's going to happen. Bypass surgery is where they go to a part of your body and they get a good artery that has no cloggage of cholesterol. And then they go to that part of your heart, the artery, that is clogged. And what they do is they put the good one there so it bypasses the, the part of your artery that's clogged. Jesus is a spiritual surgeon. And he does the exact same thing. He wants to do spiritual bypass surgery on your heart. He doesn't just want to take out lying. He doesn't just want to take out gossip. He doesn't just want to take out grumbling. He wants to replace it. He wants to bypass it and put in the good thing. How do you replace lying? Proverbs 25, verse 2 and 3 says this. Today sometime? Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity, someone say integrity, and uprightness protect me, for, in, for I put my hope in you. What he's saying is, I could lie to get ahead. I could lie on my tax return. I could lie about my salary. But my hope's in you, not myself. I'm not going to do what they do. Wherever I want to take my family, I'm going to do it with integrity. I'm going to do it with honesty. Because that little gain that I think I'm going to get, it's actually going to hurt me in the long run. That's how you, Jesus comes. That's why the, the Bible, sometimes it will cut you. Not because it's trying to hurt you, it's trying to help you. And it never just tells you not to do something, it tells you to do something better. You don't need to lie on your, on your tax return. God sees your need. And because he's a good God, when you pray to him, he'll provide that need. What about, what about gossip? What about gossip? This, is, this one's really good. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be devoted to one another. Honor. That's how you do it. Instead of gossip, you honor them. You speak highly of them. You, 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 you speak about their, their great character. Honor one another above yourself. That's challenging. That takes effort. Because anyone can gossip. Anyone can, has dirt on everyone in this room has got dirt. But biblical character honors one another above themselves. What about complaining? This one's the hardest. First Thessalonians 5, 6, 16 says, Rejoice always. Not on days you're having a good day. Rejoice always. Pray, continue, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is why no one's saying amen. Because these things are hard. Because there are days the Bible will encourage you. There are days the Bible will challenge you. And this is one of those days. You need sometimes to be pushed. You need to be challenged. Because why? Because when the Bible is true, it will cut you. And it cuts you in your beliefs. It cuts you in your actions. And number three, if you're taking notes, if the Bible's true, it will cut your heart. It will cut your heart. This one is the hardest of the three to preach. I'm going to try to do it as slow as I can in the most biblical way that I can. i got a pastor friend of mine. He, he uh, started working out. I was like 25 pounds and you ever do those like tests where they tell you the exact body weight BMI that you have? Not the scales that you buy on like Amazon for 10 bucks. And those aren't accurate. Those machines are called DACA machines, D-E-X-A, DEXA, I think. And like you go underwater 
and they measure the bone density. Some of you are like, I'm big bone. This machine will tell you if you're lying. <laughs> and it tells you your BMI, your muscle, everything. And my friend had lost like 20 pounds. And he's like going in, he's like, oh, what's my BMI? It's like 15, 18. Let me tell you the, the numbers. If you're less than 10 BMI or 10% body fat, you're like a world-class athlete. 10 to 15, you are probably a college or high school athlete. Like you're in crazy good shape. 15 to 20, you're athletic. 20 to 25, you're a little overweight. 25 and above, you're obese. According to, to their standard. I don't know what that is. I'm, don't be angry with me. That's all I'm saying. So my pastor friend, he's like, am I 15, 16, 17? He's like all excited. Doctor goes, no, you're 27. He's like, what? Show me that. And he looks at it. He goes, I'm doing all the right things. I'm working out. I'm eating right. I'm going to the gym three, four days a week. I look healthy. And the doctor says, that's the problem, is that you have visceral fat. Visceral fat is not the fat that you see that's obvious. It's the fat around your organs. It's the fat that causes heart disease. So even though you look healthy, you're actually very unhealthy. And only the, this DAXA scan was able to tell him. Because he was living large. He's like, I'm healthy. That's what the Bible does. Some of you think because you come to church, you grew up in a Christian home, that you're good with God. I don't need to read the Bible. I, I know all those stories. And the Bible is a DAXA scan. Even though you look good, it tells you where your heart really is. This is where I want to use myself as an example. First year of our church, we started on a couch with probably, I don't know, eight people. Crazy. That right before the pandemic, we were 200. God did amazing things in, in two and a half years. But that first year was the most painful year of our church because we went from eight people to 25, and then we were at 75 people for nine months. It was painful. It was hard. And when people ask, like, hey, how many people you got? You know, like, when you round, like, like 15, you round up to 20, you know what I'm talking about? You get 11, you round down. Why would we round up to, like, 100? You have about 100 people. And I'd say 100, even though I knew it wasn't. And then I read James chapter 3. But if you have a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false with the truth. Your pastor sometimes is jealous. That's what the Bible does. It calls me out. Even though you think I'm a pastor, I'm a good guy, I'm paid to be good. Not like you guys, good for nothing. <laughs> the Bible comes along. It sees my real heart. Then that summer of our first year, we went from 75 to 125 in seven weeks. It was a freaking miracle. When most churches shrunk during the summer, we grew by 50. And how all my friends, how'd you do that? What'd you do? Mailer? I'd give all these answers. And when people would, would ask, like, they would, this is how I knew I was in trouble. They would say things like, wow, those, that's, those are really good things that you did. But I'm sure God was behind it too. And I was taking all the glory. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, but let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. 
For it is not the one who commends himself who was approved, but the one whom the Lord commands. Your pastor struggles with jealousy sometimes. Your pastor is prideful. But it gets worse. I got saved at 24. Did a lot of stupid things. And there are times if I don't take my thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, I can take my mind somewhere that my marriage doesn't want me to go. And even though I'm hot dog eating 40-year-old, I still have to be careful and keep lust at bay. And when I read Matthew 5, it says this, but I tell you that anyone who looks, just looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery in his heart. Jealous, prideful, I got lust issues. You think I'm a great pastor? The Bible says different. It gets worse. Every once in a while, some religious person where pray gets diarrhea because they write me mean, nasty emails. And there are times I'll show my wife the email in response. She's like, don't send that. I'm like, why? She's like, you're a pastor. I'm like, they're a Christian. Why are they saying those words? If you saw those emails, some of you would leave this church probably. Because I'm like, say it to my face. I, I wish you would. Like, I get hood on those emails. Because I got anger in my heart sometimes. And you think I'm good, but the Bible sees who I really am. And in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, it says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrong. Here I am teaching about forgiveness, and I got unforgiveness in my heart. And this is why some of you hate reading the Bible. See, that's why I don't read it. Every time I read it, it tells me why I'm wrong. tells me why I don't measure up. tells me why I don't meet God's expectations. And you have missed the point. It tells me why I need a Savior. It, tell, it pierces me so that I don't think I'm good, so I don't think I'm awesome. I don't come like, oh, my gosh, look at all those sinners. I'm one of those people. Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, while I was still jealous, while I was still angry, while I was still lustful, while I was still full of pride, Christ died for me. Me. I need it. I'm so bad, God has to die. But I'm so loved that he's willing to do it. That's the gospel. The Bible reminds me of who I really am. It pierces my heart, not to cut me down, but to draw me in. That I'm loved by a Savior in spite of my sin. My question is, when's the last time you shed a tear over what Jesus has done for you? Maybe it's because you agree with the Bible and you don't let it pierce you. And it's meant to pierce you not to push you away, but to draw you in. It says in Hebrews, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our... Jesus died for me even though I'm jealous, prideful, lustful, angry. I'm grateful that the Bible is 100% real. Beep, 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 beep. You think you're good. Jesus is. That's the point of the scriptures. To remind you 
yes, I know you work out. Yes, I know you pray. I know you do all those things and you think you're healthy and you think you're good with God. But you still need a Savior. You still need a Savior. And He loves you enough to keep drawing you back and remind you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible is not just my foundation. It's my surgeon. God, you are a surgeon with a scalpel, not trying to kill me, but to help me. God, would you shape our views, the views that go against this culture, the views that don't make sense, the views that make us look old and archaic, those things that you declare are good, God, we want to declare in our heart good. God, would you, would you cut those actions and behaviors that don't align with your word, that need to change, God. God, keep piercing my heart. Not to push me away, but to draw me in. Some of you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, this is a holy moment. You've never crossed the line of faith. You didn't know that God sent his son Jesus to die for you on a cross. You don't got to do anything other than to place your faith in him and to believe and to receive it. There are no works in Christianity. Believing by faith is the works. And this God loves you. This God was willing to die for you. This God was willing to shed his blood. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our sins. And God wants a relationship. He sees some things in your life that are not healthy, that he wants to cut out, not because he's angry, but because he loves you. If that's you this morning and you, you want to start a relationship with God, just pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven and becoming a man, living a sinless and perfect life. And you died on a cross for my sin. I believe in God. I need forgiveness. I receive your salvation. That's free. I don't got to do anything. I receive it by faith. God, would you be my surgeon? Would you help me? There are things in me, God, that I, I need you to remove. And I'm grateful, God, that right now you love me. Not if I change, but even if I never do. But you love me too much to leave me that way. I want to leave this room, God, with a relationship with you. If that was you with every head bowed, every eye closed, on the count of three, would you be willing to raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. One. Hands up, that's you this morning. Amen. Amen. God, I'd pray for you. Put your hand down. That person, the God that raised their hand, would you help guide them? Would you help lead them? Would you help walk with them every day of their life? Holy Spirit, would you fill that person with your spirit, Lord? So they would know that they're loved, that they know that they're accepted, that they know that it's not by our behaviors that we're loved. It's by our position that we are children of God. We are adopted in the family of God. Can we celebrate, church, for the hand that went up? 
Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.